You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. I'm glad somebody else has those what is the word moments. Uh, (laughs) I'm John Bruce, one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome. Good good to see you all. If you're an NBA fan, um, you know there's four teams left. (laughs) And uh, they're vying for the Western Eastern Conference Championships. And you also know that our beloved Warriors are not one of them. And... uh, a, a week ago, Friday, when the Warriors dropped their sixth game, not only dropped their sixth game, but did it in such a humiliating fashion, I was, I was pretty distraught, um, <laughs> along with all the other fans, of course. But the next morning, I, I was a little more philosophical about it, and especially when I read that, that uh, Steve Kerr, the coach, and a number of the players said, yeah, we're just not a championship team this year. And I, I thought, I wish you would have told us that. Uh, <laughs> We have got our hopes up, you know, and, and, uh, and, I, and I thought, what makes a championship team? Because they still had that same core of superstars that won the championship last year. And, and so even though this year's version was a little weaker and they couldn't win any games away from home, and I, I just figured that when they got to the playoffs, they'd flip the switch and they'd become the warriors of old and, and uh, dominate throughout the... And that's why I think a lot of us were so disappointed that uh, we just couldn't believe what our eyes had told us all, all year. But I started thinking, what makes a championship team? It's, it's more than the superstars, because they had the same superstars. But apparently, the rest of the roster just was not as strong as last year's roster and that got beat by the, by the Lakers. And, and I realized that, no, no cheers for the Lakers here. <laughs> I wouldn't call it blasphemy, but. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought, how, what a job that general managers, whether it be football or basketball or baseball in this era of salary caps have in how to allocate their, their finances. Do you, do you invest in a few really great name players and then do what you can with the rest of the roster? Or do you kind of not have as many superstars but have a better overall quality? And, uh, and, and those of you who are not NBA fans, what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians? And I think that in, in a way that teams are like churches. Because when we look at a church, often we'll look at the superstar. We'll look at the, who the pastor is or what prominent ministry they have. But that's not really the test of the strength of a church. The test of, the, of a church is how the whole church functions top to bottom in, in serving in the strength that God supplies. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12. So that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue looking at 1 Corinthians and, and spiritual gifts. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your spirit that enables us to understand your word. 
And we pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. And help us to understand what you want us to understand from this passage that we may walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians is about questions and, and issues, and Paul is answering the questions the Corinthians have asked him. And in chapter 12, we begin a new section now concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, as Greg pointed out last week, listening to 1 Corinthians a lot like listening to one side of an argument. And you can't hear what the other side is saying except by reading in to what Paul says. And so we kind of understand that the reason Paul is addressing spiritual gifts at this point is because some people in Corinth are very proud and independent of their spiritual gifts. And other people, because they don't have those gifts, feels like, oh, I'm nobody. I don't belong here. And so Paul is addressing how spiritual gifts work and that right attitude we should have uh, to them. When we talk about spiritual gifts, it, we're talking about the way God uniquely works in each of our lives. Um, there's a, a list of spiritual gifts at the first part of the chapter. There's a completely different list at the end of the chapter. There's another list in Ephesians 4 and another list in, in Romans 12. They're all different. And so that leads me to believe that there's many, many spiritual gifts. Some are listed in the Bible, some aren't. But the, just how God uniquely works in each believer's life in, in a way that, that glorifies him and helps the the, the rest of us. Um, Paul says there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of ministries. That's, that's what the gifts create, but the same Lord. There's a variety of effects, the, the fruit that those ministries bear, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one of us, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God gives us gifts for each other. He gives us gifts not for our pleasure, but to help other people to grow. Now, Jeff's going to talk about what the gifts are and, and defining each one of them and stuff in coming weeks. But let me just illustrate this. I want you to imagine one of Creekside's community groups they're meeting, and they just finished coffee and cookies, and they're just settling down to read the Bible when one of the couples comes in late. And the group can see immediately that something's wrong. She's got tears streaming down her face. He, he's not crying, but he's got this grim, strong jaw, and it's obvious he's been crying too. You guys look horrible. What's wrong? And he says, I just lost my job. And we just closed on our, our first home, and we don't know what we're going to do. Now, the group knows what they're supposed to do. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. But how each person fulfills that command differs. One woman immediately throws her arms around the gal and gives her a hug, while another guy goes to find a box of Kleenex. Uh, Another person starts going through his phone, looking for contacts that he can uh, recommend to this guy to, to find a new job. Another person brings, 
them cookies and coffee. Um, another person reads a passage from the Bible where God promises to always take care of his children. Another person asks, what are your needs right now? Another person just quietly transfers money from his checking account to their account. Another person lays out, a, here's what you can do over the next two weeks. Another person prays this great prayer. They all do something different, but they all do what Jesus would do if he were there, but they do it collectively. Does that make sense? And they might not know that they're gifted in mercy or helps or administration or giving or prophecy or, or teaching or anything. They may not know that's their gift. They just know that in crisis times, this is the way they typically respond. That's what spiritual gifts are. It's the way that Christ works through you uniquely for the needs of the rest of the church. The root of the Greek word gift is the same root of the Greek word joy. And some scholars have suggested that your spiritual gift is what you can do with the minimum of effort, the maximum of joy, and the maximum of impact on other people. That's your spiritual gift. How do you discover your spiritual gift? Several years ago, um, our high school group asked me to accompany them down to Pajaro Dunes and teach on spiritual gifts. And so I took them through this test we developed on how to recognize your spiritual gift. And uh, it was pretty extensive. And by the end of the time, one of the seniors said, told me she knew she had all the gifts. <laughs> so I stopped using that test. Uh, <laughs> I think the only way you discover your spiritual gift is the way you discover anything else. How do you discover what sport you're good at? Or if you're any good at music or dance or drama or any of the arts, you just have to try, right? And uh, when I was a kid, I loved basketball and baseball and football, and I wasn't very good at any of them. But I was good at swimming. And that's where eventually I... I put all my attention because that's one thing I enjoyed. I didn't mind the long workouts and I could excel at. I think the same thing is true. I, I, how I learned I wasn't a good singer um, right away, but I could play the flute. And so the point is, is the way you get to know your gift is by doing stuff, by serving. And as you serve, you find there's some things you do well, some things you don't do well, some things that, that give you great joy to do, other things you just do by faith, and some things where people say, thank you for doing that. God really ministered to me through you in that. And that's the way you, 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 you can't find without getting your feet wet and getting out there and giving it a try. Well, that's last week. That's all summary of last week. Let's talk about what we're going to do this week. Beginning in verse 12... Paul explains how the presence of spiritual gifts in the church, what that tells you about how God designed the church. And so let's begin reading at verse 12. For even as the body, and he means your human body, he's talking about the, your body here. Even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ that the body of Christ is like your human body, one body, but many members. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And I underline that because that, that phrase is repeated throughout this, this passage. And I want you to see where it is. Apparently, this is one of the big ideas, that the body is one body, but it's made up of many different members, which we are all members. So the church is just like your body. It's not an organization, it's an organism. Because we are all indwelt with the spirit of Jesus. We, talk, we say that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? What makes you a Christian? Only one thing makes you a Christian, Jesus lives in your life, right? And, and sometime you put your faith in Christ, but he, you have that relationship with him. Well, when the spirit of Jesus comes to live in me, he gives me spiritual gifts or a spiritual gift. He, he equips me in a way he wants to work through me. And so that's the way. Yeah. So that's what the church is. The church is a body made up of many different parts, and what differentiates us is what God has gifted us to do by his spirit. Now, most of this passage that we're looking at this morning is dealing with problems in the church when you don't recognize you're a member of the body, when you see yourself as a lone individual. And the two problems Paul's gonna talk about is underestimating our contribution and overestimating our contribution. So let's start with the underestimating our contribution and people who think, well, I don't have any gifts. I'm not really part of the body. Verse 15, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Some people say, well, I'm not any good in the church because I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't lead, I can't sing, I can't uh, counsel, I can't administrate, I can't, I'm just, I'm no good for anybody. And so Paul is, have you ever met that person? I know, I'm not, it's not you, but have you ever met a person like that? See. That's who Paul's talking about here. So Paul says, well, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, how would it smell? How would it hear? How would it get anywhere? Bounce? Uh, God made us different, just like he made the members of your body different, he made us different because we all serve a different function. Several years ago, you, if you were here, then you probably remember this, but I, I went through a couple of years um, well, of kidney stones attacks. And they, you know, kidney stone attacks are the worst, the worst pain you can endure, according to me. And, uh, <laughs> but they're awful. And, and I just didn't understand why was I having these attacks? 
And so finally, my doctor did some tests, and he said, well, your parathyroid isn't working right. And I said, my what? And I didn't even know I had a parathyroid, but apparently parathyroid is this little gland uh, in your throat, and it has one job. It is to, to keep your calcium levels where they should be. And my, my parathyroid, you had one job. <laughs> and you didn't do it. And so my calcium levels were all out of whack. So I had to get surgery. And uh, the good news is I had a benign tumor, and they took that off. The bad news is the doctor clipped one of my vocal cords accidentally. So... Uh, I have not been able to talk right since. But anyway, I think this mistake of seeing I am useless to the body, I'm no good, I have nothing to offer, is the most common mistake Christians make. Because there are far more consumers in the church than there are contributors. Wouldn't you agree? There are far more people who come to consume what we produce than who are actively helping us to produce. And since joy doesn't come from consumption, but joy comes from contribution, that's why there's so more, many boring Christians. They're just bored. And that's why they look somewhere else, some other avenue to excel in, because they don't think they, there's anything for them to do at the church. Well, Paul's answer is, how many spare body parts do you have in your body? Can you think of any spare parts? Any parts you don't need. No. Well, that's the same way with the body of Christ. Now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. You have the gift that God designed for you. And God doesn't create junk. So you are necessary. So what do you do? You get involved. There, is, there are so many things to do here at Creekside uh, we need people in community groups. We need people help and take care of the children and teach the children. Uh, we need greeters. We need security people. We need administrators. We need secretaries. We need HR people. Uh, we need people to visit shut-ins and people in the, in the hospitals. Um, people who, who can do all the technical stuff. People who are vocalists. People who are musicians counselors, listeners, um, it, the list goes on and on. There is a need for everything. And as you begin involved in some kind of ministry, you will find, you'll discover what I do well, what I don't do so well, what gives me joy, what blesses other people, what doesn't. And through being involved in the body, you will gradually feel, here is what God has gifted me to do. Amen. So that's for the people who, who underestimate uh, your spiritual gift, underestimate what you can contribute. You just got to get out and try and let the Lord lead you. By the way, when we talk about exercising spiritual gifts, because they're gifts of the Spirit, you cannot do it by kind of gritting your teeth and say, okay, here, I'm going to go do that. It's got to be by faith. It's got to be like, Lord, here I am, and I'm going to try this now, but you're going to have to empower me. Your one is going to have to work through me. Uh, so leave that a little... Let's talk about, by the way, that's the way I learned I could teach. I never thought I was a teacher, but I just tried it once, and it wasn't very good, but, but um, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it, 
And, and the poor people that heard me, they enjoyed it too. And, I, and for the first time, I began to realize maybe, maybe this is what God has gifted me to do. And so I began to pursue it. And the more I did it, the more God blessed. But you only learn it. God doesn't just appear to you and say, okay, here's your gift. Sign on the bottom line. Um, you have to try. Okay, let's talk about the other problem that we have when we don't see ourselves as members of the body, when we see ourselves as independent, and that's overestimating our contribution. George Barna Group did a study. Well, that's, what, that's all they do is do studies. But one study they did, they found that 95% of Americans define themselves as independent thinkers. And they think that's a good thing. Americans, we are fascinated with independence, right? We want to be financially independent so that we don't have to depend on anybody else. We want to be professionally independent so that nobody can tell us what to do. We want to be relationally independent so we don't need anybody. Athletes often care more about their personal statistics than whether their team is winning or not. Men and women, I hear all the time, they want to be decided, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. There is just a fascination with independence in our country, and that's probably why Americans are so lonely, that most Americans today say they don't have any good friends. Only, only one out of five people say they have friends at work. That's why the work, there's no camaraderie. There's no sense of that we're in this together, to hanging out after work to, to go, go get a drink or, or play sports or something like that. That's very rare. Uh, that's why a lot of churches, people come to, to worship, to hear the Bible taught, but they're not living life together. They're not really good friends. They're not part, part of things. And apparently this is what had happened in, in Corinth 2. Let's go on verse 1221. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I'm the eye. What need do I have of hands? I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm the head. What need do I have of feet? Well, Paul replies, that while a, a body will be handicapped without eyes, an eye can't survive without a body. And none of us are made so that we can be independent. We all need people. And so the problem here is people who are so gifted that they think, I don't need other Christians. Christians need me, definitely. But I don't need other Christians. And, and for a long time, I fell into that camp. I, I felt like I'm the teacher, I'm the answer giver, I'm the problem solver. So if you've got a problem for me to solve or a question for me to answer, I'll talk to you. But if you don't need me that way, well, I'll, I'll do something else. And felt like I didn't need other people. And God, is, it sounds horrible to even say that. But um, I've come to see uh, that I need you. I need your friendship. I need to be in relationship to you because you are the way God works in my life. And when I divorce myself from other Christians, I have divorced myself from God because God works through the gifts of his body. Does that make sense? And I think for pastors especially, it's easy for us to follow. I used to wonder why pastors, they were so hard to get to know. 
And, and I thought, well, it's because everybody puts us on a pedestal and stuff like that. That's not it at all. It's that we're kind of self-involved. And we don't want to reach out to people. We're tired. And so we just want to be alone. And that's just so wrong. And so, anyway, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, on the contrary, for those who think they don't need other believers, it is much truer that the members of the body, our physical body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members do not need it. Now, this is kind of a complicated passage. Let me see if I can make it simple. Paul says that in your body you have strong members, like your arms and your legs or your muscles, and you have weaker members, like your kidneys and your liver. You have um, honorable members, parts of your body, that, like your face or your hair or something like that. And you have less honorable members, like your spleen or, or your bowels or something like that. You have presentable members, parts of your body you don't mind anybody looking at. And you have less presentable members, parts you don't want anybody to look at. But the fact that you have these different kinds of members doesn't affect the way the members feel about each other. See? So that when one member is praised, all the members are praised. The, the, the liver, or it'd be the kidneys, liver or kidneys. Anyway, either liver or kidneys, which uh, doesn't get jealous when your skin is, uh, is praised. And your skin is grateful that, that the, the, the kidney keeps it from turning yellow. Or is it the liver that keeps it? What, it's the liver. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I obviously know a lot about the body. Um, and when you stub your toe, your eyes don't say, come on, it's not that bad. Grow up. No, your, your, your eye begins to water like, because your whole body hurts when one part of it hurts. And, and Paul says that what your body does naturally is what the church should do, choosing to love one another as Christ loves us. Does that make sense? So nobody can say, I don't need you. You need, we need each other. Now, this is what I never saw before. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members are honored with it. God did not put us in a body to make us more efficient. He put us in a body to teach us how to love each other. And he made us as dependent on each other as our members of our own body are dependent on the other members so that he could display his love through the church. Does that make sense? God gave you spiritual gifts, gave us all spiritual gifts, and put us in the body of Christ so that people could see his love through our love for each other. So we have the same care for one another. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we are all honored. That's the, that's the purpose of spiritual gifts. 
It's not that we can do our jobs better, it's that we love each other more. This week, Steve Kerr talked about the season. And he said that the lack of trust was the biggest problem in the Warriors this year. He said it began when Draymond Green slugged Jordan Poole. And he said, we have to get back to what made us really successful, which is a really trusting environment and a group that relies on one another and makes each other better. He said, when we've been at our best, there is a joy. There's a freedom. Everybody feels confident in each other. Rebuilding that culture is our top priority. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say Jordan Poole needs to go practice more three-pointers. He says we need to be more unified. We need to love each other. Well, that same all-for-one, one-for-all spirit is even more vital in the church if we're going to win our culture. When we overestimate our contribution, or we underestimate our contribution, when we stay independent and unengaged, uncaring, when we're more interested in our local church's success than we are in the success of the church down the road, when we compete with each other for honor and recognition, when we fail to love each other, then we cannot fulfill God's call to be the church. Remember what Jesus says in John 17? He prays for us, and he prays for the, the, the disciples and all those who will believe through them. And he says, I pray that they may all be one so that the world will believe that you sent me and that you love them. There's the most powerful force for evangelism we have is our relationships with each other. That as we demonstrate this, this love, loving, caring, we're all in it together atmosphere that is rare if non-existent in the rest of the world, that's when people will see that God is a God of love because they'll see it through us. They'll see it not because we say it, but because we live it. So those are the two problems you have when you don't see yourself as a member of the body. One member, vitally important, but a member of all the whole body and living that way. Now, Paul ends here by summarizing verses 1 through 11, the spiritual gifts and the body. He puts it all together now, beginning in verse 27. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. There again, one, one body, many members. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And I was thinking, what does Paul mean when he says that God appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on? I don't think he's talking about ranking because that would contradict everything he just said about gifts because God is the one who gives the gifts and every gift is necessary and don't demean your own gifts. So I don't think he's talking about ranking the gifts. Maybe he's talking about the order the gifts appeared. 
The apostles, they started the church. They, were, they took the gospel out first. And then as people became Christians and the church started to function, prophets began to appear, people who would speak the word of God to a specific situation, teachers who teach the word, and then miracles, and so on and so forth. So maybe, so I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying that's one, one idea. But the idea of it being ranked, I don't see it. But here's the point that Paul wants us to see here. All are not apostles, are they? All are not all prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? One body, many gifts. So don't expect everybody to have the same gift because God has, has given a variety of gifts. Now, Paul says something very strange at the end here, and I'm going to try to explain it to you. Um, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's strange, isn't it? Because I thought he just said that God gives the gifts and that God is the one who makes each one of us for what we've called to and that everybody is necessary. So why would he say, therefore, desire the greater gifts? Well, there's an alternative translation of this that's based on some manuscripts and it says it's not a command, it is you are desiring the greater gifts. In other words, this is the problem with your church, is that you all want the greater gifts, you want the, the notoriety, you want the attention, but I'll show you a better way, which gets into love, which Jeff will teach on next week, the First Corinthians 13, the, the, uh, the wedding chapter, and uh, which, by the way, has nothing to do with marital love, but that's beside the point. Or another way to translate this, Paul could be just quoting what they say, that in Corinth they say, we need to desire the greater gifts. And he's saying, I'll show you a better way, which is love. So that's kind of how the, all that, I think, what, how that fits together. Let me end with this. Spiritual gifts are given to us because God loves us. And not only does he love us, but he wants us to love each other. And so he, he gifts us in such a way that we can minister to other people and other people can minister to us. And when the church is operating the way it should, people will be impressed with, gosh, how those people love each other. And maybe what they say about God being a God of love, perfect love, maybe they know what they're talking about. So I think that's, the, that's the, what we need to see is the goal here is not go out and find your gift because you'll, you'll operate in your gift if you're ministering anyway. But the goal is, is love each other, love each other. And if you're not a Christian, the gospel is, is really the good news that God loves us. You think about that, that there is a perfect, all good, all loving God who created us. Well, if that's true, why is the world such a mess? Well, according to the Bible, our first parents distrusted God's love and struck out on their own with their own plan for their life since they couldn't trust God's plan. And we have inherited their suspicious of God mentality. And so we're always trying to find happiness in other things than God. 
things of this world, things of a creation, things we can do. And that's why we're always frustrated. But God continued to love us even when we became rebels and walked away from him and sent his son to become a human being, to redeem humanity, to live the life we failed to live so that God can credit to us who put our faith in him his perfect record of righteousness, to die the death we deserve to die, dying on the cross for our sins, enduring the wrath of God for our wickedness so that God can forgive us, and then rising from the dead, not only so that we can live forever, but also that we can become new people now and, and uh, begin become the people he wants us to be. And so that's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who says, I cannot save myself. I'm not good enough. I can't solve my problems. I can't work everything out. I need a savior. And I believe Jesus is that savior. And asking Jesus personally, I want you to be my savior. You say, he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. I'm coming. Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gifts you give us. And I pray that our church will be a church that exercises those gifts, but more importantly, that we'll be a church that learns to love each other the way you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.